Rabbi Kalinsky um, introduced someone recently, and he said, a lot of times you can see the uh, winners out of the starting gate, you know. <laughs> when I think about when I first met her, Moshe, when he was in high school, I was just a little past high school, you saw then already there's someone who was Asil Gdula. Uh, amazing, and he, his career has kept developing and developing as a Tamil Chacham, as a Mashpir, as a Zaka Rabbim. Literally thousands and thousands of men and women, boys and girls, teens and, and teens, learn because of directly because of his efforts and this why Summer Call and the Mechlelet, she runs all those things and their humongous operations and all the other types of things that this why I don't know. And in recent years, I've, I've heard my wife in the in seminaries, he has this amazing, amazing speeches about technology, and we were talking about the Musa groups as we plan, together Rabbi Schneider, what should we focus on, what the guys need to hear about, and obviously technology and it's all of its challenges, pitfalls, ups and downs, highs and lows, highs and lows, uh, something we have to talk about, and I think, I think maybe Rabbi Haber, Shlita said, oh, we should bring someone in. I was Rabbi Haber, and I said right away, oh, I have the person, so I can't take their emotion, such a place, also, big simple for me to see an old friend and a good friend, and uh, let the issue be nana me oro a little bit, so uh, no further ado. Anyway, benefits. It's okay to stick from here? Stay? Yeah. A little closer to the cover? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to put it together. Put it together. Uh, and, uh, sense of time connecting a little bit. We'll speak more a little bit about that. I thank uh, Rabbi Schoomaker for the beautiful introduction. The only part I agree with is how good it is to see an old friend. That's a, that part of it is definitely, definitely true. And uh, very, very special to be here and to be part of this incredible... Yeshiva and Makom Torah. You talk about reputations and out of the starting gate and knowing what a place is. The, the light and the energy and the desire to grow that emanates from this base Madrash and has for such a long time is a source of inspiration to the entire community of B'nai Torah, of B'nai Aliyah, of anybody who wants to learn and wants to understand and wants to grow a little bit. They know that so much of that starts in this incredible Makom Torah with these remarkable Rabbeim and it is, uh, it's just great to be a part of that. It's an enormous chizuk just to be here and to be a part of that. I'm not sure why I was invited, other than to say hello to some good friends. I don't know if you ever want to admit to being an expert on technology. That usually implies some bad things. It's not, not good people. Great people don't know anything about technology. I try to be a great person, so I'll, I'll profess ignorance on a lot of things of technology. And uh, the little things that I do know, I'll be able to share with you, and hopefully we'll be able to do something good with it. A funny thing happened to me on my way to this yeshiva. I don't mean in the past few minutes in the car, I mean over the past couple of days. So I was approached a little while ago by Rabbi Schoomaker and asked to uh, join you here and to speak a little bit about technology. I was super excited to be able to see him and to be able to be part of the base matters. So I said yes, and we were able to work out the time. And then he put me in touch with a very fine fellow who I just met upstairs, David Ivory, is that his name? Uh, yeah, Doug, Daniel? Daniel, okay. Uh, met him, and he was in touch with me, and he asked me, after figuring out exactly the timing and everything else, he asked me uh, about the title and a bio and a picture. If I had a headshot, I guess there was a poster, or they put it out on a WhatsApp, I don't know, It's uh, I don't know what technology is okay, not okay, I don't know how they used it or how they didn't use it. Uh, he asked me if he could have it, and before I could respond to him, and that's a loaded phrase, because that didn't mean it was quickly, it just meant I didn't respond to him, but before I could respond to him, he responded to me and said, it's okay, I use Google, technology share, I use Google, and I found it, and we have no problem at all. Okay, I was very grateful for him, he saved me the couple of minutes that would be there. It's never comfortable sending anybody a headshot or a, not exactly a shidduch resume, but still not comfortable with the picture seen as being a speaker, you know, okay, I was happy that he took that chore off my hands, and Shalom Yisrael, everything was good. 
On Friday night in Shul in Ramat Shevesh, so a very fine fellow that you are familiar with, Rabbi Kwas, came over to me, and Rabbi Kwas asked me excitedly, almost, he said, are you speaking in Chappelle's on Sunday night? Now, Rabbi Kwas is an excitable fellow when something is of significance and of, of substance. A good piece of Torah will always excite Rabbi Kwas. My speaking in Chappelle's is not the most exciting thing. I sensed right away that his excitement was was greater than the, the ma'amad, than the occurrence of my speaking in Chappelle's. I said, yes, in fact, I am speaking in Chappelle's. And he said, well, that is a relief. I said, okay, why is that a relief? Am I, am I such a, a calming influence on anything that's going on in Darche Noam right now? He said, no. He said, I saw a poster, I saw publicity for you to be there, that Moshe Benefis was coming to speak on Sunday night, and I read the bio, and I looked at the picture, and I said, that is not the Moshe Benefis that I know, and that is not the picture of the person that I know. I daven in Shul on Friday night, and I've had many wonderful interactions with this fellow Moshe Benefits, and that is not him, and that is not his bio. That is not the person. And sure enough, in the great city of Yerushalayim, I live in Beit Shemesh with Rabbi Kwas, in the city of Yerushalayim, there is another Moshe Benefits. That's not the most common name in the world. It's not Moshe Kohn, mind you. It's Moshe Benovitz, B-E-N-O-V-I-T-Z, spelled the exact same way. Not Benowitz and not Benowitz, Moshe Benovitz. We are named for the same person. We are related. We, our fathers are brothers. He is, he lives in Talpiot. He is a professor of Talmud and a graduate of the Schechter Institute, a visiting professor in Harvard University. He teaches in Hebrew U. He and I don't share all hashkafos and agreement about all things about the way Gemara should be learned. Uh, we do share a wonderful and warm relationship as first cousins that we are. We are named for the same person, my grandfather, uh, his grandfather, the father of our brothers, our fathers who are brothers. Uh, and uh, we've been confused for each other in the past. When we get together at family events, we often have a little bit of a rivalry as who name comes up first, text here again on Google, and, and, and the different incidents that we can tell about the times we have been confused for one another and for the next family gathering. I have another one myself. I'll tell you just the funniest one is that a long time ago, 20... Seven years ago, I was working as a very, very young rabbi, as the assistant rabbi in Lincoln Square Synagogue on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And uh, and the first Shabbos that I gave a drasha, the rabbi came up to me and he said to me, I just want you to know and be prepared so you don't get surprised or distracted, there will be a contingent of two or three dignified-looking, professorial type of fellows that are going to be there. They may or may not be wearing a yarmulke on their head. Sometimes they do it out of respect. They are Jewish secular professors from Columbia who love to go to shul on Shabbos morning to hear the rabbi's sermon. And this is their Jewish activity of the week. Don't be intimidated. Don't be scared. But this is what happens from time to time. I'm like, listen, it's already a big shul, already intimidated and scared. It's not going to add anything to my intimidation. I said, great. He comes over to me in the middle of Pesuket to Zimra and he says to me, I don't know what's going on. He said, look over there. That group of two or three was a group of 15. There were 15 professors from Columbia University who were there to listen to the rabbi's drusha that day because Lincoln Square Synagogue had put out that Rabbi Moshe Benevis was going to be giving the drusha that day. <laughs> Came over to introduce themselves and they said, Professor Benevis, we have long admired your work. We are so excited. We came down. We brought some of our friends. All of the faculty of Columbia, every Jewish professor in Columbia had come to hear me that day. And of course, my response was, 
a pleasure to meet you. Thanks very much. Very good. I figured what's at this point, it doesn't matter. If it's good, I'll give my cousin a little bit of credit. And not, I'm not going to disappoint these nice fellows on the time they go to shul. That's, that's what we did. There's a reason why I'm telling you this. Other than just starting with a little bit of Milsa, Dibidichusa, every, every one of those incidents and stories is true. That is what happened with Rabbi Kwas. That is what happened in Lincoln Square Synagogue. The most remarkable interaction I've ever had with my first cousin, whose name is Moshe Benevitz, and you will agree that this is the case, had nothing to do with mistaken identity. We were at a a family event uh, three or four years ago. I was there, my wife was there, all my kids were there, his kids were there, his wife was there, a number of other family members were there. It was a yard site for my grandmother, dinner, and we were talking and we were saying about the fact that we have so much in common, but we don't get, you know, the way it is with family, we don't get to spend enough time with each other. We should really be in a WhatsApp group together. It's really a WhatsApp group for some of these cousins, especially the ones who made Aliyah, who, you know, they had second cousins even, but they should know each other. There should be a WhatsApp group. They should have things to do with each other. My cousin is a brilliant professor. He is not a Haredi by any stretch of the imagination. Like I said, he's had most of his education, has been from the JTS conservative movement. Uh, He lives a a conservadox type of lifestyle, and I tell you that as a point of reference, and it matters without any sort of judgment, just so that you understand what we're talking about and who we're talking about. And he shook his head. I wouldn't say he shook his head sadly. He shook his head excitedly and proudly, and he said, that's not going to be possible. Well, why wouldn't that be possible? Why can't we have a WhatsApp group? And my cousin, a visiting professor in Harvard University, affiliated with the conservative movement, said, because I do not own a smartphone. In fact, I do not own a cell phone. He is likely the last non-Haredi individual in the city of Yerushalayim not to own a cell phone. I took as a badge of honor, and I'll remind you this at the end, when I taught in high school 20 years ago in DRS, there were about 15 Rabbeim in Long Island, DRS High School. There were about 15 Rabbeim, maybe 20 Rabbeim on the staff. There were only two who did not own a cell phone. This was in 2001. There were only two Rabbeim. I was one of the two who didn't have a cell phone because the only time I wasn't right next to a desk phone was when I was teaching and I didn't want to be interrupted anyway. And I thought it was crazy to have a cell phone and I, I thought they were bad. My cousin in 2023, the story took place in 2018, it is still true in 2023, my cousin does not own a cell phone. He leaves a message. He does have a computer and a laptop. He does communicate with people by email. He leaves a message for people whenever he has even a coffee date. The message says, if you are late, you will not be able to reach me. I will be there 15 minutes early, and I will wait 15 minutes late, and then I will leave, and there's nothing we can do to communicate. This is it. This is our last moment of communication. Think about how crazy that is to live a life. One of my kids, listen to this, this is nuts. I told you it's the craziest thing you'll hear about my cousin for the day. It's the last thing you're going to hear also about him. My, my kids asked him, have you ever, do you ever feel like you're missing out on the rest of the world? Do you ever feel like you could really use a cell phone? And he said, in fact, yes. He said, I do. He said, when Yerushalayim switched over, crossed the 75% threshold for parking, that you could park not only with the app, but if you don't have the app, you have to use the dial-in number, the star whatever, in order to do it. I realized it was going to be very, very difficult to park my car. So he stopped his sentence, and my kid said, so what did you do? And he said, 
I sold my car. That's what he said. I sold my car. I'm not going to do it. I sold my car. That's it. It's not so bad to walk, and there's great buses that are around. Now the buses, by the way, are using almost entirely from phones, and you can't do anything else with it, but this is, I don't know what he's going to do about it. On a serious note, my kids asked him, when are you going to give in? And he said, from his work in the university, and a professor, he's a professor of Talmud, not of economics, but he said, he predicts, he said this five years ago, that within a decade, we'll see if he's right or wrong, within a decade there will be no such thing as credit cards or paper money or coins. The entire world will be operating only with currency that exists on phones. And he says that he has marked it down. That is when he's going to get... You can't be in society, you can't function in society if you can't, if you can't pay for anything, if you can't have anything else like that. That is the day in which he is going to give in, not a day before. That's the thing. You can't... Only that which you can't survive with. In a quieter moment, I asked him why it is that he has such an eccentric position. Why is he such an outlier? Why does he live a life and he doesn't have such a phone at all? And he, he, he didn't answer the question. He, he was too modest to answer the question. He didn't want to be holier than thou to answer the question. He also is a very, very good teacher. And he wasn't going to let me off the hook by answering something for me that I was fully capable of answering on my own. He basically just made a wide, sweeping gesture with his hand, and he said, look, look at the world. Look at the world. Has it helped? Has it hurt? Is this, is this a good quality of life, or is there something that is so sorely lacking in the world that we have that is overwhelmed by all of technology? The phones and the social media, every aspect of technology has taken over our life. And what he did discuss with me a little bit, which will be our departure point that we'll, we'll talk about for a minute or two, is not just the prevalence of technology in our lives, but the way in which we've actually become defined by this interaction with all of technology. There's an extraordinary, extraordinary statement that's made by Rav Chaim Belazhin in his epic work of Nefesh Achayim. And in Nefesh Achayim, Rav Chaim Belazhin is not speaking about technology over here, but we'll, we'll come back to that idea and thought in a minute. But Rav Chaim Belazhin is speaking about the nature of our interactions with things. The different components of our life and the value and the influence that those components have. If that's confusing, it'll be much clearer in just a moment. And Rav Chaim Belazhin makes a, a diuk in one of the most prominent, well-known, and important psukim that we have in the entire Torah. It's the origin of humanity. When God describes in Perak Bays of Sefer Beratius, at the very beginning of creation, when God describes the nature of a human being, the famous pasuk that describes Vayipach Ba'apav Nishmas Chayim, this clump of dirt, this physical matter was animated. It received a spirit. Both of those words have serious religious overtones. They define what we are as religious people. The nature of spirit, which means breath or wind, the spirit God breathed into man and gave him nishmas chayim. He gave him a sense of a soul. We all of a sudden had a neshama. The Pusik concludes and says, Vayihi adam l'nefesh chaya. And man became more than just a man. He became Lenefesh Chaya. And there are two fascinating things that all Jewish thinkers, philosophers, that they point to in this Pasuk. The first is the relationship between a Neshama and a Nefesh. There are a million and one explanations for what a Neshama is and what a Nefesh may be. But the Nefesh Chayim, Rav Chaim points out something else. 
The Pasuk doesn't say that there was a person and that God gave that person a soul that we have within us. We have a tool chest. And in that tool chest, I have an identity. I have a sense of self. And within that tool chest, within that sense of self, there are various components, there are various pockets that I have, there are various characteristics that I have. And one of those characteristics is Nefesh Chaya. Says the Nefesh Chayim, the Pasuk could have said, but it did not say that God gave to man a Nefesh Chaya, that God gave to man this sense of higher spirit, it says, it says that through that act and that connection to Nefesh Chaya, man was defined by, man was the soul and the spirit that God breathed into him. The difference between having a soul and being a soul is a critical difference that exists in the world for positive, as described over here, that a person can have a relationship We'll talk about it in a minute. With their tefillin or with their gemara, with their meisim tovim, there are things that are not what they do, but they are what they are, be'etzem, le'nefesh chaya. And unfortunately and tragically, the same could exist le'ra as well. The problem with technology begins with the fact that we have become technology. If technology was simply a temptation, if technology was simply something that was there, that we have to avoid, look, as B'nai Torah, we are used to that struggle. And no matter how great the temptation is, when it is, stays foreign to us, when it stays apart from us, we desire it, we want to come to it. Okay, I'm not saying we're not going to have casualties in that battle. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect all the time. But at least, at least we have more than a fighting chance with the Torah HaKadosha. We have a chance and an opportunity to be victorious in that never-ending battle between Kodesh and Chol, that never-ending battle between that which is good and that which is less good, that which is bad. However, when the thing becomes us, when it takes over to the point that we do not know where our personality, where our identity, where our self ends and technology begins. This is, of course, I've been saying this for quite a while, but this is, of course, the main front page news in the world of artificial intelligence, which is the title of what we're speaking about right now, and that we'll come back to in a couple of minutes. What is the definition of a person, of a partner, of an idea, What is the limits of artificial intelligence? And there's a question about whether a computer or a program can have a set, can be a sentient being. And that still makes it the other because the more important line we've already crossed a long time ago. The line that separates between who I am and what my phone is. What my technology, my social media personality is. The level of addiction that exists to our phones and to technology has many negative repercussions. But the single biggest negative repercussion is not just the enormous bittelsman, the waste of time that it entails. It's not just the fact that we end up doing things that we shouldn't be doing even if it didn't take up any time. That's not the biggest danger. The biggest danger is the reverse of It's not that I use my phone, it is that I am my phone. Anybody do not raise your hand. I, I, I'll raise my hand if it's happened to me. Anybody ever have the, the phantom ring phenomenon? Ever ever feel a phone vibrating in their pocket on a Shabbos when their phone's not even there? We become inseparable with our phone. 
Anybody have a compulsion to check a message or to live a life in the virtual realm instead of living the life that we're in front of right now? The desire, I saw a, a, a Purim spirited cartoon of a sign in the building, which is, again, it's, a, it's a, it, unfortunately the humor in this, and it is humorous, but the humor in it is only because of the tragic reality that it accurately depicts. It's a building with emergency instructions. In case of fire, put your phone away and stop taking pictures and get out. That's what the sign said on the thing. In case of, don't, don't you know, roll and put out the fire. Don't, in case of fire, put your phone away and stop taking pictures of it. That's an addiction that says, I can't experience anything without the prism and without the lens of my phone to help me guide me through that process. It doesn't exist unless I post it. It doesn't exist unless I record it. I have a constant. I finish my davening. This is, by the way, spoiler alert, you know, before we end, this is going to be, I'll give a number of suggestions and possibilities. Here's one. First of all, not to bring your shul, not to daven from a phone. Those are all enormously helpful. They should be given. How about setting a time delay of how quickly after when you've put your phone away, you check your phone after davening. That is a life-changing type of distinction of what to do. How long will I wait in that period, whether it was morning Seder or chakras, whenever that time is that I was smart enough and advanced enough that I was able to put my phone away for a couple of minutes, how long do I wait afterwards to demonstrate a degree of control and more than a degree of control, a degree of separation, a degree of the fact that this is not me. This is external to me. This is a device that I necessarily use to function in the world and I use it to communicate, and I take advantage of the shiurim that I can download, but this is not me. Not iPhone 12. I am not going to become the technology that I am using. I am not going to become the person that I am through technology. I'm going to become the person I am through base metrics. I'm going to become the person that I am through avoda and through tefillah and through the work that is required to build a person that no autobot and no machine or assembly line could ever produce. I was thinking about it, though, after that exchange with my, with my cousin and with all of the knowledge of the fact that there is this level of addiction and connection. But okay, why is that so terrible? Maybe those things create something that's only better and stronger. Where are the weak points that make us and force us, compel us, to be so resistant to this influence of technology? What's so bad about it? When I was growing up, before there was technology, there certainly was television, and there was a very, very popular show that was called The Bionic Man. Also, there was a show called The Six, Six Million Dot, whatever it was called, a, a, a takeoff of The Bionic Man as well. My arm is good. A mechanical arm might be better. My brain is good. A mechanical brain might be better. Why can't I have a phone in morning Seder all the time? Why can't I become synonymous? Maybe much like other forms of avoda, maybe it's not true that base medrash is the only way to develop a personality. Maybe we can develop a personality, even with the addiction. Maybe Vayihi Adam with iPhone 12 is the ultimate statement of godless Adam. Maybe that's as great as it could be. So in truth, that they didn't bring me here to answer that question. I don't think there's a person here who believes that the godless Adam is expressed through the way we are when we are on our phones and spending time on our phones. I, I, I often point out, and again, there's nothing humorous about this, but the notion of, you know, one of the most popular sports in the world to watch are people playing video games. 
I think the worst thing that video game makers ever did was make it a spectator sport. Because watching a human being playing video games, sometimes people advertise video games by showing people playing video games. Those always make me want to run away from video games. You never want to be. It's such a sad and demoralizing state of affair. If you've ever been watching something or playing a video game and the light catches your screen in the wrong way and you see yourself in a mirror of like Tetris or a Candy Crush or, or, or whatever you're watching like there, it's enough to make you shut it off right away. Like that, I do not want to see myself even in that stage of doing it. So I don't think anybody really thinks that godless Adam is ever going to be expressed through technology. But where are the specific problems? Where do we run into such great trouble when it comes to our use of, of technology? Where does it create the obstacles? And what is it that we have to work so hard to avoid? So here, the creators of technology and the geniuses of technology, they did us an enormous favor. In television, when they invented a new genre of television, they called it reality television, even though everybody in the world knew that the least realistic things were reality television. Nobody, nobody in real life, reality is not reflected of being stranded on a desert island, nor in real life do we have cupcake wars, all that. It's not really what real life looks like. The entire genre of reality television is completely in, inaccurate as a description. And luckily, in the world of technology, they didn't make that, that mistake. The two words that are most closely associated with technological advancement are the topic of today's talk, artificial intelligence. They put it that way right there. All of the discussions, they've already biased the jury, and luckily in this case, in our favor. They don't pretend that this is the ultimate intelligence. They are acknowledging right away that it is artificial. And we refer to reality and experiences that are not real. We refer to them as virtual reality. The word virtual as an adjective is not a very positive one. Virtual means that we could pretend and we can contort and we can somehow twist it into imagining that this is something like the real thing, even though with a wink and a nod we are saying it is not. You put on a pair of goggles at a county fair. You didn't board a plane to Tokyo or, or ride a bull. You didn't do any of those things. You're just pretending like you did. You're living in a world that is virtual. You're living in a world that is fundamentally artificial. Unfortunately, technology fed on one of the great perennial human weaknesses and one that our door was, was particularly susceptible to. Long before this weekend, I had in mind a couple of the ideas that I wish to share with you today. And the one that I knew that I would share with you above all others is an idea that I heard a number of years ago from my Rebbe, Rav Meir Tversky. Now, Rav Meir Tversky, unfortunately, is on a plane that is landing uh, in a couple of minutes now with the, uh, with the, the coffin, the Aron of his beloved mother, Rebetzin Atara Tversky, who is the daughter of Rav Soloveitchik. Uh, they are they're on their way to the Leviah, which I'll be headed to later on uh, this evening. Uh, the Leviah in Shamgar and then in Harazesim. And, uh, and I'm also getting on a plane tonight. Rav Tversky's getting on a plane tonight. Hopefully I'll be able to pay a shiva call in Riverdale tomorrow to him. So it's a certainly should be uh, for the Zechus of the Neshama, for Rebetzin Atara Tversky, Rav Tversky's mother, that I quote a Torah that was so, so emblematic, so much representative of the Torah of the Salvechik dynasty, I have no doubt that while his mother was not likely to have taught him this particular idea, I have no doubt that he learned this idea from his mother, and from his grandfather, and of course from his father, Rabbi Professor Yitzchak Tversky. I have no doubt where this idea came from. 
Rav Tursky asked the following question about our Hanhagos and Halachos in the summer months, specifically during the three weeks. We know that when we get to Tisha B'Av, there's a, a, there's a increasing level of prohibitions that we have throughout the three weeks, then the nine days, and then on Tisha B'Av itself. On Tisha B'Av itself, there are Hameshi Nuyim, there are five things we're not allowed to do, eating and drinking and other forms of comfort, the leather shoes. We're not allowed to do the five things. And then, if you recall from Tisha B'Av experiences, there are other things that we don't do on Tisha B'Av that are not strictly in the category of the five Inuyim. One of those things, for example, is we, we don't sit on the on a chair. We, generally speaking, sit on the floor. There are different menhagim about a shul and the parochas and the lighting. But perhaps the most well-known outside of the five Inuyim, the perhaps the well, most well-known restriction or halakha is that on Tisha B'Av, much like in a base Avel, ironically where, where Rav Tursky will be for the next week, in a base Avel, what is prohibited to engage in something called She'elas Shalom. One is not allowed to have She'elah Shalom in a base Avel. And Ritorsky once observed the fact that, although from a strict halachic sense, that there is a level of camaraderie and of social interaction that is not appropriate for an Avel, that an Avel is completely caught up in the kavod for the mace and the, the thoughts and the actions and the behaviors that are meant to give honor to the mace, even with all of that, and Rotorsky needs no reminder of how rigorous the halachic system is and how much sense it makes, it is odd that on Tisha B'Av of all days, we do not encounter or speak with other people. Why do we not have She'elas Shalom on Tisha B'Av? After all, one of the reasons that the Gemara gives for the destruction of the base of Mikdash that you are all familiar with is that the period of time during when the base of Mikdash was standing was marked by excessive sinas chinam. People were not behaving in the proper way. They lacked the type of social graces and generosity that we are known for as B'nai Avram Avinu. We were not Rachmanim. We had sinas chinam instead of avas chinam. And therefore the base of Mikdash was destroyed. And our reaction to that is to sit in a corner by ourselves? Shouldn't it be? You can imagine, I, I spent some time in a summer program directing a, a summer camp. You can imagine a camp in the mountains. It doesn't make a difference what their level of, of you know, denomination of Judaism they are a part of. You would imagine that the ideal thing on Tisha B'Av to do is to have a get-to-know-you program, have an icebreaker, have everybody... What did we do last night if you were lucky enough to have a clear sky during Kiddush Levana? Shouldn't that be what we do on Tisha B'Av? Shouldn't the Avodah on Tisha B'Av to be everybody walking around saying Shalom Aleichem to everybody else? Shouldn't you have to have like a scavenger hunt? Go say hello to ten people that you haven't said hello to since last Tisha B'Av. That would make more sense than prohibiting Sheila Shalom. And Rotorsky acknowledged answer number one is that it's just an outgrowth of the regular halachos of Avelos. Maybe that's a possibility. Possibility number two would be that the Solitude, the loneliness that we feel will motivate us. We're just mimicking the state of Sinaschinam on Tishabab and on Motsoi Tishabab in Hachanami. We should go run and meet as many people as we can and repair the broken heart and the pain that we feel on Tishabab. Ratorsky suggested the following answer that, that it just exudes such a, a truth and such a reality of the, the sadness of the lives in which we live. Rotorsky wondered why it is that the prohibition is specifically phrased with She'elas Shalom as being that which is prohibited. Why don't we say what we mean, which is that it's not a day to hang out with your friends. 
Why am I allowed to circumvent the Shela Shalom and spend as much time as I want with people? Why is it specifically Shela Shalom? Long before there was social media, explained Rav Tversky, long before there were avatars, and long before there was virtual reality and artificial intelligence, there was a lie that was called Shela Shalom. Shela Shalom is the way in which human beings interact when they don't actually care. Shela Shalom is the way in which we talk when we strip our words of having any meaning. I am describing in Rutorsky's words Shela Shalom. I am also describing all of social media. Words don't matter. It doesn't make any difference what you have to say. What does, I mean, the way in which there are different societies have different ways in which they answer the phone. The, the Western world, particularly American way of hello question mark, do you know that that's simply nonsense? I mean, imagine a Martian who was coming down and saying, why did you answer the phone with hello question mark? What question are you asking when you, hello, what? Why, why do you say that? Say hello if you mean to say hello. And why do you say hello to, you know, you could, sometimes people do that, by the way, the problem, you know, benefits residents, that makes more, you are identifying it. Hello question mark? That's the Shela Shalom that was prohibited. What is the one answer you're never allowed to give? When two gentlemen are walking past each other in the streets of Yerushalayim, you haven't seen your friend in a few days, hey, how's it going? What is the proper response to that first? What's the right response to that? Hey, how's it going? That's the response. That's the, hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? That's the response. What's the one thing you're never allowed to do to that question? Answer it. That is not what anybody is ever asking, literally, when they engage in Shela Shalom. The next time somebody asks, how is it going, and they mean, how is it going, will be the first time in human history that somebody asks, how is it going, and they meant, how is it going. Shela Shalom is an avatar. Shela Shalom is a lie. There is a deep-seated connection. There is a reality that we can have and that we can feel, and a connection that we can have to people but we need to sit on the floor by ourselves and cry a little bit before we can acknowledge it and realize it. If we do it right and we tone down social media for just a couple of minutes, if we tone down that type of lie and deceit, that type of emptiness in our gestures and our words for just a minute, maybe, just maybe, we can encounter and we can experience the reality and depth of Avastinam. Maybe we can connect to people and be curious about them and wonder about them and care about them without the interference of the lie and the avatar that is represented in front of us. There is a lack of authenticity that defines the virtual world. It is the presentation of things as we perhaps wish them to be, but certainly not the way that they are. Another humorous story, but again, it has such a biting punchline to it. You can all guess the punchline before it starts. I'm a part of, with my wife's family, uh, uh, an extensive cousins and aunts and uncles and the grandparents, Shepping Nachas, a WhatsApp group for the family. My wife's maiden name is Goldstein. The Goldstein family group, it's not the most creative name in the world, the Goldstein family WhatsApp group for comings and goings, since all the siblings are, are in different locations. So my brother-in-law, very wonderful fellow, living in Bergenfield, my brother-in-law posts a picture on a Sunday a couple of months ago, and the picture should have been in a magazine. He's got his, his 12-year-old daughter and his 8-year-old son, and they're in the kitchen, and they're, they're making dinner for the entire family. And God, they're making meatballs, and you can like smell how delicious the meatballs are through the picture. They're in front of this bubbling pot with these huge smiles on their face, 
And she's got like an adorable little saw streak, you know, on her face over there. And they're each wearing like a little bit of an apron. And they're beaming with pride about what they did. And she's kind of holding him up because he's only eight years old and he can barely reach above the counter. And these are kids who are helping each other and helping their parents and taking responsibility and making delicious food to match. He gets all the reactions you would expect to get from a picture like that. Oh, that's so cute. Love those kids. I miss them so much. What a knockoff. Way to go. All the reactions that you get one after the other from the pictures. My brother-in-law lets it all go on and he says, you're all crazy. He's like, do you have any idea what was going on in our house that Sunday afternoon? My wife and I were way too busy than we should have been, way too busy for the kids. We realized at 3 o'clock there's no food at all. We say to the 12-year-old daughter, is there any chance you could help out and throw some pizza bagels in the yard? Pizza bagels again? I'm not eating pizza bagels again. Well, if you don't want pizza bagels, maybe you should make supper. How am I supposed to make supper? I'm 12 years old. Two and a half hours in her room having a complete tantrum and yelling at them about what they have to do. And then to make matters worse, they say, and you have to babysit your brother, you have to help him also. Oh, that set things off completely. The little cute streak on her face was because they got into a meatball fight in the middle of the kitchen, (laughs) flinging meatballs at each other, going crazy at each other. They had to be separated by a professional referee and sent to their own quarters for a little while. There was no delicious smell of meatballs anywhere near that picture. The meatballs burnt long before they could hit anybody's mouth, and it was an absolute disaster and before they got grounded for the rest of their lives, they were told to smile for one picture so that they could have a record to show the family that they're not utterly and completely dysfunctional. Again, it's a, it, I mean, we all had a great laugh with it. We were all like, you got us and that's amazing. This, this, is, this is our lives. This is what we're living. This is what Tversky explained. This is why Shela Shalom is prohibited. Stop it for one minute. Tone it down. Have a moment of honesty. Have a moment of genuineness. Have a moment of authenticity. Have a moment of insight. See, there's a word, I'm I, I, using the word authenticity. I'm not, I don't know, I'm not an expert in the English language 100%. I think there's a difference between authenticity and something which is true. There's something deeper, and I use that word on purpose when I say deeper, about the word authentic. You know, we call the period, speaking about Chorban also, it's just coincidence that we're speaking about it twice today, but we call the entire period of Chorban that we're still struggling with, we call that the period of Hester Panem. God hides his face. What a weird phrase both of those are. To hide and the face. God doesn't have a face. God should be Hester Hashem or Hester, I don't know, Hester Shechina. What, is, what does Hester mean and why Panem? And, and the Bali Musar pointed out for a very long time that the word Panem doesn't necessarily mean face here or maybe it does, but indirectly in what the face really represents in the world of Machshava. Panem is short for Panemius. When HaKadosh Baruch and the base of Mikdash were destroyed, what we commemorate when we have this prohibition of Shela Shalom was losing a world of Panemius. We now live in a world of Instagram and WhatsApp messages, of avatars and of emojis, of abbreviations and of thoughts and ideas that do not come close to reflecting anything that is real, anything that is true, anything that is authentic, and certainly not anything that is deep. Not anything that requires real insight, real investigation, real concern. It is a world of rampant and overwhelming superficiality. And it is a world in which it is impossible to achieve the greatness that man is capable of achieving, to achieve any real godless Adam through those, those mediums. They don't, those media, they don't work in that way. They foster inauthenticity. They foster superficiality. 
They create a world of Shela Shalom where we're not really asking a question and we certainly don't want an answer. And the world demands of us when we're learning a Rashi in our Sugya and Gemara, when we are learning the Sugya of a relationship with a friend, the world demands of us to ask questions and to look beneath the surface and to understand and to uncover Megillas Esther, the Giloy of that which is hidden, to reveal the Panemius and the depth of life. Forget about Panemius Torah even for a second. We'll get back to that. But the Panemius of life to recognize that the world can never be captured by an emoji. The world can never be captured by an abbreviation. That the world cannot be captured simply by the fact that we have an addiction to the phone. Somewhere in there is a soul. Somewhere in there is this aspiration. Somewhere deep inside of our world, of ourselves and of the world around us, is something so sublime and so beautiful, we have to be able to access it. We have to be able to aspire to it. There's an incredible, incredible Svas MS. Later on in Sefer Boratius, you have the terrible incident of Mechiras Yosef, a third reference to Chorban, unfortunately, but the terrible incident of Mechiras Yosef. And Yosef has as a response, Mechiras Yosef, there has this entire story unfolds in Mitzrayim, and you have Yosef serving as the second in command, and Yehuda, they have this climactic moment right before Yosef is going to reveal himself. And the Pasuk begins, the Parsha is named after it, Vayigash Elov Yehuda, Vayomar. Yehuda approached him and Yehuda said. That phrase that we're all familiar with, Vayigash Elov Yehuda, that phrase is completely unnecessary and redundant. There should be no Pasuk that's called, Parsha that's called Vayigash, the Parsha should be called Vayomar. The, what happened was important is that Yehuda said something to Yosef. So various Mepharshim point out and various Midrashim suggest that we're getting a little bit of important scene direction over here, stage direction over here. You need to know that he approached him and that we, he had to whisper to him who we wanted to overhear, who we didn't want to hear. It's not something he shouted from across the room. It's something he said more softly from up close by Yigash love. Why is that so important? The Svas Emes says Vayigash Elov refers to, and it actually means two things according to the Svas Emes. Vayigash Elov means Ratorsky's Sheila Shalom. Vayigash Elov means for one minute he stopped pretending. For one minute he put the phone down and he said, let me be real. Let me communicate in a genuine and a meaningful way. Vayigash Elov. Not every Vayomar is preceded by a Vayigash Elov. In our day and age, virtually none of our Vayomars are preceded by Vayigash Elov. Can't tell you how many times I'm speaking to a person. I'll say, no, so, yeah, I was just speaking with him. And I'm like, you were speaking to him or you were texting him? You were, having, were you actually speaking with him? Did you actually see and read his facial reaction, Hester, upon him? Did you actually connect with a person? Or did you li- deliver a string of words without any idea how he was receiving them and frankly without any idea how you were saying them, which is the deepest part of what the Svas MS suggests. The Svas MS says, you know what? Forget about Vayigashi love Yehuda, that Yehuda went close to Yosef, that he approached the realness of Yosef. You know the hymn of Vayigash love? It doesn't say Vayigash Yehuda El Yosef. It says Vayigash love. A love means to Yehuda. It means Vayigash love. Yehuda. Yehuda came close to himself. Yehuda took off the mask for a moment. Yehuda stopped pretending, stopped posturing, 
Stop being something that he wasn't. By gosh, a love. There's a point of a love. The point of a love is the nefesh chayim's point of vayehi ha'adam lenefesh chaya. There is nothing else that is going to solve this problem. There is nothing else that's going to get us out of this quandary. That's going to get us out of this mess. I believe that a successful yeshiva and a successful growth experience is predicated on three things that will determine the long-term success of a, a learning endeavor. This is my own personal theory. You could agree or disagree with it, but I want to make a point about it. I would call those three things, I would call them uh, the acronym that I would use for them. Uh, I would use the acronym of HA for them. They are happy, authentic, and healthy. Pekudei Hashem Yesharim Mesamche Lev. Rabbi Schoomaker and I shared a car ride once with Nussan Tzvi Finkel. I had this list of driving him and you were in the back seat asking him questions the entire time when he spoke to NCSY Kolel 1996, 7, something like that. 8 maybe, I don't know. One of those years. And all he said to NCSY Kolel, and he said it again and it changed everyone's life. Bekudei Hashem Yesharim Mesamche Lev. The words of Torah, the Torah that we learn, they give us not, not the Simcha of Hololus, it's not always the most pleasurable experience and the greatest tanug in the world, although it's often that as well. But you, what person wants to be truly happy? A person wants to experience the simcha of accomplishment and the simcha of emes, the simcha of truth. Pekudei Hashem Yesharim. By the way, that's the parallel phrase, the companion to Mesamchelev of its making you happy is Pekudei Hashem Yesharim. There's a truthfulness. Yesharim means straight. Yesharim means authentic. Pekudei Hashem Yesharim. We'll get back to that in a second. Mesamchelev. If our phones were successful at making us truly happy, if I didn't feel sad, depressed, lonely, and detached after any serious amount of time surfing the internet, watching YouTube videos ad infinitum, or spending time responding to a million and one messages from people who I don't genuinely have a relationship with or connect to, if those things genuinely... Listen, you could tell me it's a waste of time, you could tell me it's a bad thing to do, but there's no simcha like the simcha of nine hours on YouTube. If that's what you were to tell me, okay, so let's have a debate about it, let's wonder about it. Not one person in the world is going to tell me that. You can know from the experience there is something being put in front of us in this world, a choice we get to make. Pekudei Hashem Yesharim Mesamche Leib. Torah has the ability to make us happy. Torah has the ability to provide for us with that incredible joy. Authentic, we've spoken about the entire time. It has to be, it can't just be you walk into a base measure, there's a charismatic speaker, and I, and, I, and I say, close to conclusion, I say what I started with. There are few but a medrash in the world that teach a Torah that is authentic, text-based, as this base medrash, and what you have the ability to learn here. You may struggle with it from time to time. You may work hard in order to achieve it. But you never doubt that what you're learning in this base matters with your incredible rebellion is anything but authentic. You're, you're not being sold a used car. You're not being pitched on an ad. There are no avatars in this base matters. Unfortunately, in other Bhante matters there are. And in the world at large, it's endless. Just a ceaseless stream of lies and misrepresentations. Instagram post. This is not a great Instagram-based metric. This is not a place in which you're going to tell the story of working over a toast host and figuring out what the Rambam really meant or what the Ramban al Torah was really trying to communicate by reading the words and understanding the language. It needs to be authentic in the ways that we spoke about. And it needs to be healthy. 
needs to be that I am a stronger person. This is the genius of what Rotorsky says about Sheila Shalom. Are my relationships better or worse, strong? Do I look at the world in a better place, a different way? Am I helping in the way, looking at the world, just seeing the world in a different way? Do things, do I have a healthier perspective, a healthier attitude in life? That's the authenticity of Torah, and it is no coincidence, Rabosai. It is no coincidence that those are the three enemies of modern technology. Technology, and they know it. Ask anybody who works in Silicon Valley, anybody who produces these things. They are worried. They are the exact equivalent of the tobacco-producing companies, the cigarette, the nicotine-producing companies. They know that they are producing a generation of people that are unhealthy. They know that nothing they're producing is authentic. And they know that nobody is happy. These are the things that when you do it right, you find and you know and you grab hold of because it is the tree of life. For when we have it in base Medrash, and these are the things that specifically technology, I didn't make this up. This is my list long before I was asked to speak about technology. But these are the things in the world of technology. Technology cannot begin to approach these three things. They have not come up with an app that makes a person happy. They have not come up with an app that does the avod and the work of living a life of panemius and a life of authenticity. They have not come up with an app that is healthy. Yes, you can count your steps and you can do all sorts of things to check your calorie intake. But a healthy perspective in life, there is no app that is able to provide that. Torah is capable of providing that. You know, the OU, two more points and then we're done. Second being just a couple of practical suggestions of which there are many, but we'll just, we alluded to a couple of them before and we'll end with that. But before that, just a reminder of the value of the Torah that we learn and why the answers to these questions is found in all of the things we're doing on a daily basis. I work for NCSY. I work for the NCSY as part of the Orthodox Union. The Orthodox Union, the OU, is most famous for the kashras they provide, generally speaking for food, sometimes for other products, they just came out with a press release very recently that they've been doing work for a number of years that they have a, a smart oven and a smart refrigerator, an entire line of GE appliances that are now under OU Hashgatha. That the OU worked very carefully with the engineers and the technicians that there's an entire world of appliances that you can use on Shabbos that can be part of a kosher oven. It's a great accomplishment for the OU. And the reason why it's a great accomplishment is because technology is sometimes put at odds with Torah and we wonder whether Torah could be really eternal. And one of the great things that, that shows you the godless, the greatness of our Chazal, even of more recent of the Rabbanim and leadership, to look through an Igris Moshe and to understand how the Igris Moshe, how Moshe Feinstein was answering questions about a Metzius that didn't even exist in his time yet, about how many Gemaras are used to answer questions about technology. Gemaras that were speaking about wacky cases that would never happen, but then they happen all the time just when you add technology. There is an eternal nature of, of Torah to it. But there's a danger in that. I don't think that's really what we mean when we talk about the Nitzchias of Torah. When we talk about the Nitzchias of Torah, we talk about the fact that the antidote and the answer to the challenges that technology gives us, specifically in the three areas that we address today, the areas of happy, the area of authentic, the area of healthy, specifically in those areas, the antidote was given to us at Harsinai. The Torah understood that the world, yes, technology makes it harder, technology makes it worse. The world was always going to be a struggle, not just between generic light and dark and good and bad, but it was going to be a struggle between authentic and false. 
that there was always going to be Nevi'e Sheker. The Torah speaks about that all of the time. There were always going to be false prophets. And the Torah understood that there was always going to be an inclination towards Simcha Sachayim is not the easiest thing to achieve in one's life. Simcha Sachayim doesn't come automatically. It doesn't come without work and it doesn't come without building oneself up to appreciate and to understand the roots of Simcha and the causes of Simcha. The Torah understood that. And the Torah, when it gave, when we presented the Torah at Har Sinai, when we said Naseb and Nishma, when we accepted the Torah, we were accepting a Torah that was going to provide us the path, the soul path, for which we were going to be able to encounter something of such extraordinary depth, of such extraordinary authenticity, something that could provide for us, in the words of the Mesil Sishar, the greatest of pleasures in Olam Hazeh, not only in Olam Haba. And something which is the roadmap for the ultimate of mental health and productivity and efficiency and happiness and cures for loneliness and cures for so many of the things that ail us and that ail society around us. We have it in Torah. The nitzchias of Torah is that there is not something new under the sun. Ein chadash tachas Hashemesh. All there is are the same Yetzirah, the same pitfalls, the same issues that have been accelerated through technology, but we have the answer. We have the ability. In, I mean, this has been said a thousand times. You don't need me to remind you of it. But when the world scratches their head and says, there's a famous NFL quarterback who just went on a four-day retreat in which he did not take his phone, and he came out and said, I think everybody should do that. And the Jews of the world said, we do. We've done it before. There's Shabbos, and there's a Daf Gemara, and there's a base Medrash and a Tefillah period where we're not checking our messages and not checking our phones. We have the answer. We have something that is real and something that is true and we'd be crazy to ignore it. A couple of practical suggestions. And again, there, there are many, many, but just a couple of practical suggestions. One of them I made before. I mean, let's start with, with the basics. A, a phone that is not filtered. And filtered, I think, has two distinct implications that are absolutely vital. There's no way to have a discussion without it. First filtered mean is that a phone is not everything in the world for everybody all of the time. That is obviously disastrous as a muscle that was given by a Rebbe many, many years ago in, uh, in your father-in-law's yeshiva in Or Yishalayim. The Rebbe gave this muscle often is that if a person came and said, you, you want a, a significant prize, uh, you have, we're building in your house the Library of Congress. Every book that has ever been published and every book that will be ever be published is going to be brought to your house. You are going to have the largest library on the planet. We're buying you an estate that's big enough for it. Your house is going to become the Library of Congress. Your living room is going to have shelves as far and high as the eye can see. There are going to be thousands and thousands. This guy, oh my, this is a great, we, we happen to love books. We love reading. This is the most amazing thing. It's priceless. I can't believe how fortunate, how lucky we are. And they come, and then they have all of the classics, and all the great works, and all the reference works, and all the information. The guy's like a kid in a candy store. He's drooling. This is unbelievable. What a beautiful decoration. And it has Sfarim, and it has Kedusha, and it has all of the Torah in the world. Wait a second, I thought you just meant secular. No, not just secular literature. Every Shilin Chuba, the Cairo Geniza, books that have never been published, they're all coming into your living room. And the guy is, he's on cloud nine. And then another truck pulls up. And they open up the truck and every piece of filth that has ever been created starts coming into the living room. And he's like, what's this? I'm like, well, well it's, it's a package deal. It's every book that has ever been written. And, and not all of it is in the Cairo Geniza. Not all of it is the Ramchal. And he's like, well, I, I don't want that in my living room. And they say, well, you don't have a choice. It's either all or none. And he's like, I don't know. And, okay, we all won that lottery. 
We, we all have that. That is, that is in, this is not a, a mushal, this is not a nimshal, there's nothing else. We all won that lottery, thanks to Al Gore. We all won that lottery. We all won that lottery. We have at our fingertips every book that has ever been written, every material, every picture that's ever been taken. We all, we have access to it all the time. And then they start bringing in everything up. You need to have a filter. Tarte mashmi, you need to have a filter. There need to be rules that we have for engagement for our phone. And everyone's got to make their own. I suggested one before, and I'll highlight that in a second as, as part of the point as well. There need to be rules of engagement. I don't do it then. I stop from doing it then. I have however many hours a day that I'll be, you know, or minutes a day, preferably, that I'm going to be able to use my phone. I can't tell you with my own children and with Talmidim that I know are on, on, on a path of goodness. I'll reach out to them. I'll send them a WhatsApp. I dread the blue chat. Please tell me you're not checking your phone all throughout the, you know. I, 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 I sometimes I, I can't help my, sometimes I try not to do it in a time where I know they're supposed to be doing something else. And by the way, that's not only during times of Torah. If, if I have my son-in-law is learning in yeshiva and he's, uh, you know, he comes back uh, and he has an hour exactly before night seder where he's going to be having dinner with my daughter, you know, I, 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 please don't blue check it. Please. I, you better not be seeing it then. I hope you're not looking at your phone then. My wife was complaining to me the other day. My wife is a far holier woman than I am. My wife was complaining the other day. It's so annoying that so-and-so doesn't get back to us right away. I'm like, it's so awesome that he doesn't get back to us right away. If he was reading the message and not getting back to us, I'm with you 100%. That's just disrespectful. But I'm pretty sure, check the blue checks. I do it all the time. I think he checks his phone three times a day. Oh my God, is that awesome. And everyone's going to have on their own level. If it's everything always, it's a disaster before you start. On your level, at your time. At least that you have some rules. There's something refreshing about that. If you meet a person you want to know, ask a person. When you go out on a shidduch date or when you meet a new friend, you have a roommate there. So what are your phone rules? When do you use your phone? If they say, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no phone rules. It's everything goes whenever I want. I try my best to look. Stop. No, no, no. It, it cannot be matzliach. They ha- Even if you don't enjoy Okay. Have a degree of, of a filter in terms of time and of usage. Have your own shulchan aruch and your own rules about even kadesh asmachav and mutar. Make rules about what you can do and how you can do it. Specifically in the act interaction between kedusha and technology, make extra rules when it comes to there. In not bringing the phone into a base medrash, and not unless it's absolutely necessary, not davening or benching from a phone or from an app, I have mine only for emergencies, that you really leave it preferably outside, certainly that it never comes out of a pocket in any of those times, in any of those, in any of those circumstances. But even more interestingly, what I alluded to before, and the same would go for Shabbos and Yom Tov, by the way. You don't have to keep Rebbeinu Tom, keep Rebbeinu Tom for technology. Uh, Shabbos ends at 6 o'clock, until 6.35 I don't look at my phone. That's my Malava Malka. Yes, you should wash later and bench later. Have a technology Malava Malka every week. Have a technology Kabbalah Shabbos every week. Not to go up to the last minute. Uh, Tosefa Shabbos, just as it relates to technology. And it started at 12 o'clock on Friday. I'm not saying that everybody, I can't do that. Imagine how awesome that would be if my Arab Shabbos HaKadosh were not just salting the fish and making my own herring. My Arab Shabbos HaKadosh is I put my phone, and everybody knows it. My phone at 12, 12 o'clock, I'm all Shabbos, like that. Have buffer zones and have specifically in the interactions, Shabbos, Tefillah, a learning Seder, any of those interactions, 
Anything that you can do that preserves the integrity and heightens the contrast between the joy and the simcha and the authenticity and the healthiness of Torah learning and Torah lifestyle and the absolute disaster that technology represents, any of that will pay dividends so far beyond anything else. When you turn on your phone at 6.30, it will be a radically different experience turning on the phone. As opposed to the 54321 Abdullah countdown, let me run to my phone right away. That, that has the opposite effect. That undermines everything that happened over Shabbos. If the minute Shabbos ended, I could, you know, but if I have the Shabbos afterglow and I could keep it going for another half hour, or again, that Arab Shabbos, part of those hachanos are my phone goes away. I'm already in Arab Shabbos mode. And again, the same for Tefillah, the same for Seder. It's not going to be two hours. Five steps. Person should do it. Person told me it was macabre upon that, and it changed his relationship with technology. Five step rule when he leaves the base measures. Five step rule. Once he found, not once, many times he found himself as he was walking. Because what we do is already, you know, his phones are ready in his hand when he's three steps away from the door. Put the phone right back away. Walk back to his seat, and then he walked again. That's the way he walked out of the base measures, just to create those buffer zones. And the way that they work. And the third and final eights, I apologize for, for going uh, too long, but the third and final eights that I would suggest is just in the world of relationships. Do not confuse or make assumptions about virtual relationships in place of, of real relationships. Do not fall into the Shela Shalom trap. Do not fall into the posturing and the type of, of dishonest connection that exists in the world of social media and through the various representations, the emojis and the avatars, do not fall into that trap at all. When we want to connect, when we want to have genuine debuk chaverim, I was once speaking to a chaver of mine, I, I work in, in uh, Reshid Yerushalayim, which is in Beit Shemesh, I live in Ramat Beit Shemesh. Between Ramat Beit Shemesh Aleph, where I live, and, and, uh, and Beit Shemesh is the community of Ramat Beit Shemesh Bet, which doesn't always get the best PR, it's a very, very, very Haredi neighborhood. And, uh, and somebody once asked me, all those nights, late at night, after leaving the racial-based medrash, when you're walking or driving through the neighborhood, what strikes you the most? I never entertained that question before. Okay, they're obviously, they're dressed a little bit different, their, their hours of operation are different, there are always people that are out and about, late hours of the night, especially on a, on a Thursday night, Mishmar night. He said, nah, nah, none of that really matters. He said, you ever notice how often people without phones are just talking to each other on a street corner? You ever notice the way they say goodbye to one another? You ever notice the way, just, I'm not talking about people who are in a romantic relationship. Just that sense of, of being together. You ever see, you know, one of the most sad things about technology is the New York City subway system and a crowded street on Fifth Avenue. Thousands and thousands of people that could not be less connected to one another, completely indifferent to one another. We put away our phone for one minute in social interactions, and it's especially true with our loved ones, with our spouses, with our children, with our closest friends, with our roommate at the table in a Chater Ochel. How about we have zones in which we are genuinely connecting and not artificially connecting? That is sometimes a Dover Shepikadusha, but even if it's not strictly a Dover Shepikadusha in the same way that Shabbos Tfilin Pomodoro and Tefillah are, at least it's a, the same rule of that kind of buffer zone and allowing for real relationships to be real relationships and not to be dragged down into all that which is artificial. I envy, I envy my cousin. I envy a person who has the self-control and the willpower to not take the easy way out and to set up even more extreme rules to preserve that sense of human dignity to preserve that sense of, 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 of Kedusha that we are all blessed with, to recognize where the answers are and where the answers aren't for the lives that we want to live, for dedicating oneself by a he ha'adam l'nefesh chaya, 
If I'm going to have and I'm going to be something, this is what I want to be, not the phone that is vibrating in my pocket. I end with a relative of Rav Tversky's. I had the Zuchus many times of spending time with Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, Rashiva and Gush. And uh, when my son, who is now married and learning in the mirror, when my son was uh, 12 years old, pre-bar mitzvah, he had a cousin who came from America and they went on a tour meeting Varys Gedolim. Rav Aaron was quite sick at the time. He was living in his house and he was basically in his living room chair uh, all day long. And, uh, and my son asked him a question, 12 years old, and Rav Aaron answered by quoting a Gemara, and then he reached for the most worn-out little Gemara that he had by his side all the time. And my other son whispered to me, he said, it is impossible to know, this is the words he said to me, just watching Rav Aaron, and the way he was learning, the way he quoted a Gemara, and the way he reached for a Gemara with a worn-out cover that fit the palm of his hand, he said, it is impossible to know where Rav Aaron ends and the Gemara begins. That's what my son said to him watching. It's impossible to know. I can't tell. I don't know. I'm looking at this person. I don't know where Rav Aaron ends and where the Gemara begins. The ease and natural way in which you ask him a question. A Gemara Krisis, you know, it wasn't like some kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't with the Gemara Krisis. It was, he is the Gemara Krisis. His entire response, his entire answer, his entire identity was that I don't know. I don't know where Rav Aaron ends and when the Gemara begins. It's, there's a Gemara in his hand. I think his Gemara is his hand. And that's, that was the case. He was right. I said, you are a hut. That is right. Rav Aaron's hand is a Gemara. Now, th- how do you know that that's doable? How do you know that that's a thing? Because our hand is our phone. Our hand is technology. That's the world we live in. And it doesn't have to be that way. We can take it out and we could substitute for something else, something so much greater. Bezos Hashem, we will be fortunate and lucky enough to be able to do that. Thank you very much. Any questions? you have a minute for questions? Sure. Okay. Very happy not... Oh, yes. I don't have any answers, but it's easy to a minute for questions. What about, in terms of, like, maybe some about you was with in terms of Kavod the requirement of a family members and parents to need to have a phone and to maintain communication, etc. Yeah, so please please don't misunderstand. I don't think at any point I suggested that everybody should have a phone-burning ceremony and everybody should get rid of their phones. I, I think there are a lot of reasons, including the one that you just said, why it, why it would be... A, I said I'm envious of my cousin. I'm saying I'm doing what he does. I don't do it. I'm not recommending that everybody. It's certainly not for everybody. It's a very, very difficult way to live life. And he has, you know, the people that are close. He had a conversation with his parents, by the way, my aunt and uncle. He had a conversation with them about it. That they lived in America at the time. They since made Aliyah. Are you going to be okay with the fact that it's going to be harder to reach me? We're going to have set times, like in the olden days. We're going to speak once a week. I will be machabed you. I'm going to write you long emails and tell you how your grandchildren are doing. You have to have a way to be machabed your parents all the time. And the the moral of the story is that let's get rid of our phones and technology. It's not realistic, and it's definitely not fair to your parents to, to do such a thing. So you have to find that balance. But within the usage, that's why all the suggestions we gave were within a world of usage. Your parents are going to demand of you that you have your phone on you and that you're responding to their messages while you're davening shopping. This is, by the way, a terrible thing in the world. The, the standard of... Uh, um, Sivan Rahab Meir wrote an article recently. Uh, Sivan Rahab Meir is this uh, wonderful... Uh, female educator who's in the Israeli media as well. Uh, so she said she gets these requests all the time that uh, you know uh, uh, girls are making videos. Can you say happy birthday to my friends? Can you give a nice Devar Torah to my grandmother? You know, and they put together these montage videos. She gets these requests all the time because she's a media presence and she knows how to do these things. She said she got she was in Yerushalayim. She got a request from a girl in Israel. 
Uh, she got a request from a girl in Israel. Uh, would you do one of these things? Would it be, uh, she didn't know this girl at all. Doesn't even know how she got her number. She got it at 3 o'clock in the morning, which in these days is not such an affront because, okay, you're going to see it in the morning. It's probably not going to wake you up. 3 o'clock in the morning, the girl said, would you mind sending a two-minute like happy birthday video? We're trying to do something for a friend of ours. It would mean the world to her. 5 o'clock in the morning, she got. She didn't respond, obviously. She didn't see it. 5 o'clock in the morning, she got a follow-up text, three question marks, exclamation point. <laughs> what? That's, that's that's crazy, you know. That, but but that so that that's not a your parents won't be like that. It's not a, you say you set up the rules that are not necessarily the same rules of society about how quickly you have to be respond and how much you have to be on call all the time. And you can make your parents very very happy and give them lots of nachas. Ezra Hashem. Okay. So you, can you, for one minute, the guy that to get married and start their own homes. In your experience working with teenage boys in NCSY who are religious and, and in after high school programs. Can you speak a little bit just about Lisa Thuru issue when it comes to those things? It's destroying the world right now. The relationships are in absolute crisis. It's, it's a much, much longer conversation, and I'm happy to have it at a different time. Uh, but the short version of it is as follows. The world is in absolute crisis. It's not a rabbi speaking or a religious type of thing. There are more dysfunctional marriages and more... Uh, there is a lack of understanding of anything that has to do with Kedusha and intimacy in the world, and it is all attributable to technology. Uh, it's a uh, it's 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 a direct problem from that. The problem is that um, you know the whole world learns about the definition of terms and about the nature of these things from the most unholy and the most inauthentic. Uh, sources. Everything that we described tonight, by the way, you could just substitute if we spoke Belasha Nakia, and I wasn't only speaking Belasha Nakia, I wasn't referring only to the problems with relationships and with intimacy and physicality and sexuality. That was not my intent tonight. But if you substituted every single sentence we said tonight, happiness, authentic, healthy, all of that, and we were just speaking about the realm of relationships, it would have all applied just as much. And the antidote is the same antidote also. If your Rebbe is Google and worse, I'm now, I'm speaking Belusha Nucky, if your Rebbe for matters of intimacy is Google, you will have a dysfunctional relationship, not some of the time, all of the time. And any mental health professional, anybody who speaks with couples will tell you that that is absolutely the case. The level of disillusionment, the level of confusion, the level of misplaced expectations, the level of just simply wrong definitions. I thought something was something, and it's not that thing. I, I ordered something in a restaurant. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess we speak a different language. It was a completely different food than I thought I was going to be. These are all things that are happening on a regular basis. It's, uh, it's a tragedy. It's more than with movies, you're saying. Because much worse. Much worse. Because it's, because much worse. it's just more constant or because of I think it's both. It's probably more because it's more explicit, you know, more than anything else. Movies, you know, and access to movies was, was at least there were some degree, you know, there was a degree of, of mystery. Now there's no mystery. There's just amaratsas. It's because, it's, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing accurate about anything that, that people are seeing or consuming. It's a devastating problem. And we need to be reprogrammed from it. Start from the beginning. I do, you know, th- there's a common thing. Again, we could speak a little bit more of a lush nucky on this. People think, we think, because of our different exposures, that we are experts in things that we are not experts in at all. If we're around something a lot, we assume that we are an expert in it, and then we're asked questions on it. We realize we're not experts in it at all. We have to recognize we're not experts in the things that we see that we're around in, in, in the Internet. If you watch a lot of YouTube mu- music videos, you're not a great musician. You, you, don't, you don't know about the interest of music. You don't know how to play an instrument if you watch out endless hours of people playing an instrument. There, it's a real, we don't have the expertise that we think we have in terms of definitions of Kedusha and how to build a relationship in, in the right way. 
and what it means to, 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 again, to connect to a person, to care about a person, to relate to a person. That's true on an emotional level, and it's definitely true on a physical level, too. Yes, sir. Uh, I guess just out of curiosity, like, I guess you work with uh, religious teenagers, religious young people. Is the problem worse with the women, like the girls? Is which problem worse? The technology issue. I don't think so. No? I think there are a lot of things that they have gender differences. I, I don't see an enormous difference with it. I don't see an enormous difference. I think they were on a higher level in terms of relationships, so I think they fell more than, than guys did. We were kind of messed up without technology in terms of, you know, like Tversky was speaking pre-technology. It's like, it's been a, we didn't need technology to not know how to speak to each other and to, you know, connect to each other. So sometimes maybe it's more pronounced in that way, but this is, this, this does not discriminate between men and women a kiyuza. It's just destroying the fabric of, you know, so many things. Fodorov. Uh, the other practical tip, I'm, I teach in a few places. Yeah. And there's a phenomenon that, you know, we're dealing with Rabbanim and uh, educated women, but and you mentioned your meatball, uh, you know, endeavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to hold on to reality. You know, you know, I have a smartphone, I communicate with people this way. So, Mazel Tov to Ploy Almoni. Right. 50 Yes, yes, yes. I'm a conscientious objector. So... Do you have like a solution? Can no, but the, the world has to come up with one. It's it's not it's not a, an annoyance or an inconvenience. And if you don't it, answer, correct, correct, correct. It it takes something. This is another cloud. Rutersky once. Um, the, I think the angriest Rutersky ever got at me, and it wasn't my my fault completely. But there was once a a, a spiel speaking about Purim. Also, it wasn't on Purim. It was during the summer. Uh, but somebody uh, somebody. A lot of times people will imitate their Rebbeim, and especially Rav Shechter has a certain t- way of speaking, so the why of Purim Spiel for years is imitate Rav Shechter. And, and Rav Tversky is okay with that, although I don't think he loves it, quite honestly. But he's, he's okay with it, at least. So Rav Shechter, very, Rav Shechter cries a lot. Uh, and Rav Shechter, every summer, he usually has a Shabbos or two that he's with us, and he makes Avdallah, and he's never, ever made it through Avdallah without crying. And he's looking at all these boys, learning Torah and Eretz Yisrael, and he, and he breaks down and he's crying. So somebody did a perm spiel. It was all the perm spiel was. They just made Abdullah like Roshachter and they cried in the middle of it. Roshachter was, Rotorsky was livid. Livid, livid, livid. So okay, I, I, I didn't write the skit. I wasn't acting in the skit. But the buck stopped with me. I was responsible for it. Angriest in my, in our, my life that he's ever been, you know, at me. He said, never again. I'll never, you know, can't make, I have to make sure it never happens again. So after I promised him never again, and I, w- I was very, you know, uh, you know, and I said, no, okay, I get it. It was in bad taste and it wasn't a good idea. Rebbe, why, 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 you know, and he said, when you take something of meaning and you strip it of that meaning, when you, when you, div- you know, take it, div- you know, make a joke about something that doesn't have a lot of meaning. The Reshector's accent doesn't have me. Okay, Sichas, you know, Tamir, you know, okay, it's still not. Rosheter's accent is fair game. He doesn't have an accent, but it's like Rosheter's accent. He, he, that's not a dover. But his crying over how dull is untouchable. It's untouchable. You can't strip that, and, that, and that's Rabbi Haver. That's exactly what you're saying. A mazel tov is a special thing, and when you turn it into something silly, something that, that's exactly what Rosheter was arguing. And I, I, that's why I'm a conscientious objector. Unfortunately, you're right though, because if you don't do it, then people accuse you. I, I will only write a private message, you know, and that's it. That's what I'll do. But, but then people are very critical about that. Where were you? Why are you such a, uh, you know, spoil sport and all of it, you know? I don't know, it'd be good, it would be good for the technology experts to come up with. In, in the secular world also, they're, they're furious about it. Nobody likes it. It's such a silly thing. I always say, an example of what you're talking about also, is that the iCalendar was the first... 
First wave of ruining things. I ask myself all the time. Get happy birthday from a person that I barely, you know, haven't been connected with in a while. So it used to be that meant, oh my gosh, you remember, like, you know, so now it just meant that they got a reminder on their phone for something that got entered in by LinkedIn. You know what I'm saying? It's not that there, there's zero meaning to it. It was automatic. They didn't even... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They didn't, they didn't have to do anything at all. That's the same way they do with ads. They'll do it like that. They'll give you. It's a, uh, you know... If I give most of a word of Hesper to what the, what the Rope said, if you notice, he's saying he's a conscientious objector and does it his own way, and not everybody understands you. So I think an important thing in this whole area is because it's so widespread and so out there, you're going to do things that not everybody understands, but you have to know if you're doing something that's right. The person who needs a Malothov, Rebenovitz is writing a Malothov. Although what the, this, the, the people looking don't know, that's part of life. And you can't, you can't, you know, the year is kept though, and Revolva has a piece about the person does things for his year is fate. The people, why, why, are you, why are you acting like that? Because I, I know my eats are hard or whatever it is, and that's how I have to act. That's how I have to act sometimes. So this area is like that. You can't get overall approval and, or explain yourself in every way. You're going to have to do, go on a, uh, on a private, private path sometimes. I'm just, that, that's what you think about what saying. I'm, not, I'm objecting, I'm a conscious objector to answering this. And I do it my own way, and not everybody's happy, but you can't make everybody happy. But that, that's kind of what, like the sugya you have to do. Not everybody's going to understand you in these things. You have to do your best, but you have to go your own way. Just a word, add a word more. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.